Welcome to Malcolm Reed's How to Barbecue Right, a podcast where we talk about barbecue, share recipes, and discuss all things delicious. And now, here's your host, Malcolm and Rochelle Reed. Hey, welcome back to the How to Barbecue Right podcast. I'm your host, Malcolm Reed, joined by my lovely, talented wife, Miss Southern Shell. Got Tyler on the board. Everybody's here today. What's happening? <laughs> it, you know, I walked outside this morning and it wasn't cold. Yeah, there wasn't a chill way, in the air. It's supposed to cool off this front coming through. Guess what? It's raining yeah, again. It, <laughs> but it's spring. Yeah. April showers. That's what yeah. they say. It definitely looked like spring it was going to be cold. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it would be cold this morning. It's supposed to be cooler this weekend. So, do you think we'll have good weather for Memphis May? Last year, Heck it yeah. was unbeatable. No, we probably won't. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> It'll be humid and hot and raining. Yeah. But it is going to be at the fairground or the old fairgrounds and or Tiger Lane, they call it now. I like that. Yeah, it's all concrete. It's be on pavement. You miss the ambiance of being downtown yeah. on the river, but change is going to be okay for a year or two. Yeah, the logistical part of it's a lot nicer. The bad thing is there's nothing around. So if you want to go, you know, downtown, Bill Street, get all that, you know, Memphis and May ambiance of, like you said, of being yeah. downtown. You don't get that. And I don't know what part of town you call that. It's Midtown. Midtown. Yeah. It's, uh, There's an area close by. Overton's pretty cool. Yeah. You got Overton right there. It's, it's really uh, the closest place to stay over there, I guess, which is. Yeah, but they don't have a lot of hotels and they're yeah. all booked. Yeah. So if you're going to stay, you got to stay downtown and ride yeah. a shuttle. Yep. But they are going to offer shuttles. Yeah. So they had the Memphis and May meeting, the official Memphis and May cooks team meeting. Last Sunday. Last Sunday. So um, that's why. <laughs> that's how we know all this, right? No, but it's it looks interesting. They did they're doing the load in different because you've got a set time because of the way they're running these aisles. Um, I guess there's only like one or two ways in each aisle to stack teams in. Well, if the end teams get in first, you can't get in the middle spots. So and we're load, an end team. We're an end team. So they're gonna load inside out, if that makes sense. Yeah. But um it'll be fun. Oh yeah, it's gonna be a lot of fun. I can't wait. Time to start brushing up on that rib recipe. <laughs> Already got some practice cooks planned. Um, Mark's actually going up to Indianapolis to cook KCBS contest this weekend. Well, they still run kind of the recipe on K- on St. Louis ribs. Yeah. But um, the flavor profile is the same. Yeah. He's going to try to run the same. Just see how it hits, you know. Just yeah. test it out on some judges. But uh, Knock the rust off the cook. Knock the rust off, yeah. <laughs> Man, did you see that big pit that they went up and cooked uh, with Outlaw? That was awesome. Yeah. Um, what do they call it? Big Hoss. The one that they made, uh, Jay and it's a whole hall. Mark made videos yeah, for. Yeah, 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 yeah. They released videos on their YouTube channel this week. Y'all go check that out on Swine Life and Tennessee Mojo. So it's an Outlaw pit smoker. It's, it's basically two smokers in one. How big is it? Is it like the BFO? Ah, shoot, it's bigger than the BFO. Really? Yeah. Mark said you could fit the BFO inside of it. Oh, yeah, really? But see, so one end... <laughs> One end's like a normal stick burner end, the end close to the firebox, and the other end's a whole hog cooking end. And I don't know the exact dimensions of it or anything, but I would guess it's close to 36 inches. Dang. You can put a whole hog on it easy. Yeah, on one side and then have another and side. And then have the whole side to cook whatever else you want to cook on. You could probably cook another whole hog if you <laughs> wanted to. It's so, that big. Okay. But they cooked a... Man, it's a—I call it definitely a hot and fast hog. They run it pit at three hundred degrees the whole time, and 
cooked a hog in like six and a half hours, a, a full grown like 180 hog. pound hog, 150 pound, 150 yeah, pound hog. yeah, dressed. So that's, that's, a big, that's big. But the cool thing about it is he's made this, uh, it's like a ash, or not ash, it's hot coal collected baskets. So if you know how stick burner works, you build your fire in a fire basket on, on the, you know, on the, on the fire side, the fire box. Yeah. And then underneath that, he's got the grates to where some of those uh, hot coals will fall down in these baskets. He's got a little tool where you take that basket out and right underneath the hog, there's a door that opens up underneath the hog on that side of the pit. And you can take those baskets and pour your coals in there so you can move extra coals underneath the hams, underneath the shoulders, put them where you want it to get those areas that need a little extra heat uh, cooked. And that's how they're able to cook that hog so fast. But also what it does is it allows those juices from the hog rendering as it cooks to drip down and hit coals. So it's mimicking the old brick whole hog pits. Like you see the guys in, in, in the Carolinas you use where yes. they've got the hog on top of the coals and they're shoveling. You can't beat that flavor. You cannot beat that flavor. So it's kind of that same drum, old-style barbecue pit flavor that you're getting in a stick burner. Your firebox is still your main heat source. Yeah. It's, you know, Do you it's have controlling to put those pit. coals underneath or is you don't, it just an option? You don't have to. Like yeah. You don't have to run any extra fire underneath there if you don't want to. Um, the pit's going to cook a little bit. You know, you got to build a bigger fire to get it yeah. to maintain that 300 degree temperature because you are getting some resi- you are getting some heat from underneath. But the way that stick burner bun- uh, runs is when you build that fire in the firebox, um, the heat, you know, goes into the cook chamber and it starts bouncing off the top. Most of your airflow is pulling it over the meat. It's right above grate level. Uh, you get some heat below, but not a ton, and especially when you got more mass in there. So with this pit, you've got the option to put some additional heat and get some additional flavor by putting it right underneath the hog or whatever else you're cooking. If you've got to load it loaded up with butts, it do the same thing. Or brisket do the same thing. You can you can duplicate that drum or that old school pit flavor. That's smart. Yeah, oh, I love it. So could you move it from like if your hams are behind, could you move it from your shoulders to your hams easily? Easily. Yeah, easily. And and the, the cool thing about the rack he made is it spins. So you can, oh, you can the, spin the rack the comes right out. You spin it. I mean, oh, it's dude, it's it's amazing. Jay's really smart. Yeah, in that way. Oh, he was up the other night. Mark said he talked to him. It was like one a.m. Um, and he was still out there. He's got you know probes and sensors hooked up, <laughs> trying to see where the heat flow's going in the pit because it's still. I mean, it, they they revealed it that he's done it, but it's still a, lot, a big of it was a work in progress still yeah. because I mean he's a final product now, but. Uh, Jay's the type he'll keep tinkering on it and figuring out exactly how to run it and what yeah. it wants to do and how big a fire you got to build in it and all that. So have a big house 2.0 eventually. 2.0. <laughs> I'd like to see it with double doors where you could put you know two hogs and have two options to to put coals underneath both of them. So how long is this pit from end to end? Man, I don't know. It's got to be 14, 16 feet, something That's like that. Big. That's big. And you huge. haul it. I didn't measure it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a tow. You ain't going to push it around. <laughs> tell him what, what, I don't know what he wants for it. I mean, God, you got to think of the steel it took to build that. I'm sure it's an expensive pit. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean, it's no Kalamazoo. But <laughs> <laughs> it may be a Kalamazoo product. I'm sure it is. <laughs> well, this week we finally um, released the white barbecue sauce. We did. That's been a long time coming. I've been, I've been slowly leaking it, like on TikTok and using it in some stuff. 
but we finally got it um, all, you know, all shipped because it's different working with the mayo based product than it has been for our, you know, traditional tomato based products. We had to find a whole new. I mean, it's still a process. Yeah. Regardless of the product. That's right. Is that what we're talking about today is bottling process? A little bit. A little bit. But yeah, no, the white sauce is, is live in action. It's on the, I don't think it's sold out. Is it? I don't think so. Yeah. We got our first order in. Yeah. Came in last week. We got it live on the website. We had to have some of it shipped here. Some of it's at our warehouse, but we brought so, some to this to the shop here in Hernando. Um, and you know, hopefully get some. We need to do something positive reviews on it. Give some white sauce away to the um, community. Like yeah, so we were actually talking about that all together yeah. yesterday, trying to come up with a a good way to give that away, if that makes sense. Yeah, we need to the podcast listeners. I don't know how we would do it, but oh yeah, send us in some emails and Tyler will pick randomly. Pick some folks or something. Let me come up with an idea. Yeah, come up with an idea, and we might do that next week or something. Yeah, yeah. give away some white sauce to. Uh, we'll do a little bit of community and a little bit of podcast yeah. listener. Yeah. So, what is a white barbecue sauce? White. It's a uh, so. As far as I know, it started in Alabama, and it was it's a mayo based sauce instead of the traditional ketchup or tomatoes or mustard. It's mayo based, so you it's got creamy. My attention. All right. Vinegar. It's got a lot of pepper in it. You know, it's got some seasonings in it, but it's not like barbecued flavored seasonings. To me, it's just, you know, I, I like the peppery effect. Yeah, yeah. And it has a little sweetness to balance it out. Has a little um, a little citrus flavor for some lemon, you know, some lemon zest, some lemon juice in it. Um, and that's, you know, that's kind of what it is. It's a thinner sauce. It's not super thick, but it goes excellent on chicken. But, man, I've found all kinds of ways to use it. Yeah. I like, I've used it as a pizza sauce. I've used it on, on pulled pork a lot. I like to serve it along with, you know, my other sauces when I'm serving barbecue, just so you have the option. But um, I've used it, made a wing sauce with it, turned it into like a garlic parm sauce. I've um, used it as a dipping sauce. Used it as a dipping sauce, yeah. Put it in wraps. It's, I mean, it's, it's really good. It's <laughs> I like, like it. I like it. I, I love a white barbecue sauce, yeah. and we would always, you know, home make a barbecue sauce, mm-hmm. and that was the goal: is working towards a barbecue white barbecue sauce that tastes as good as you can make as homemade. A homemade yeah. one. It's been my problem with them is a lot of them. I guess to make them stable, they have to change the ingredients so much, so you get away from the mayo. But I went out and tried to find a co-packer that specialized in doing mayo sauces. So of course, I went down to the coast where they make a lot of the remoulades. And you know, comeback sauces and things like that. Yeah. And they was like, oh, we work. Yeah, that's our specialty. We work with mayonnaise because everybody I contact, I even contacted Blue Plate. I was like, look, I've got oh, this you've, sauce. You've been working on it for years. I've been working on it for years. Ever since I've started making white barbecue sauce at home, yeah. I've been trying to find a way to bottle it. And it just never, everybody wanted to use like soybean oil or something substitute. You know, and I was like, that's just, it's not what I want, you know? And we did get a few samples. And it wasn't chef stable. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we can do it, but it's got to be refrigerated. And I did not want a refrigerated product. I wanted something that could stand alone on the shelf. Now, when you open it, I recommend refrigerating it, but I do that with barbecue sauces too. So. Yeah. I mean, does it have the right pH to set shelf stable? Yeah, it does. It don't have to go. It can, it's got an 18-month shelf life, so. Well, so does mayonnaise. So does mayonnaise. What? You know, we have this argument all the time, and I've always thought if you left mayonnaise out, that 
you're you can get sick from it. But it's on the shelf at the store. Do you think that one little piece of metal that you pull off the top it's, it's, is is changes everything? Yeah. They, <laughs> well, when they when the, so I assume like when you make a mayonnaise and they pasteurize it, whatever they do, they process it. Yeah. To get you know they pull all know the air out. Do, they fill yeah. the jars. They put that top over there. It's sealed off from air. It's air that's your enemy. Once you introduced air to it, I think. I mean, I don't. I don't. I'm not a dick. I'm scientist. I don't know. So the fridge stopped. I just air. know that. <laughs> I've always been told you don't leave mayonnaise out. It but does. You go to some restaurants and the squeezy mayonnaise is on the table. It so. is, and I don't think you know they're not refrigerating it. it. Yeah, I'll use it just the same. So would you eat coleslaw that's been sitting out for like five hours at a picnic? Yes. And not think <laughs> twice about it. You wouldn't. Oh, heck no. Potato salad, coleslaw, <laughs> anything like that, I don't touch after it's been sitting out. It Mayonnaise does get that. It, like, changes color when it Separates sits out. Separates or yeah, something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I keep mayonnaise in the fridge. Yeah. But it don't bother you. I, and I don't know. Somebody might could chime in I just, and tell I've us. always wondered, like. It's safe. You could put mayonnaise in your pantry and eat it. <laughs> I, I wouldn't. Would you homemade mayonnaise? Heck no. Oh, uh, because of the eggs? Yeah. I'm guessing it's been pasteurized if it's been bottled, right? I, I really don't know what they do to it. Anyway. You're just, go for it. <laughs> Warm mayo out of the pantry. It's good to go. I'm a nope. rebel. <laughs> You're a rebel. I would not. What about tartar sauce? Would you leave that out? Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> <All right. laughs> um, no, I, I th you know, we refrigerate all that stuff as much as possible. Yeah, I refrigerate all of it. Um, I mean, I leave like Worcestershire and soy sauce and things like that in the pantry. But if it's a barbecue sauce or something, I'm going to keep for a while. Even my wing sauces that I use, I, I buy prepackaged sauce like that or marinade. I'm putting it in the fridge. Yeah, I mean, I did that the other day with the Greek vinaigrette, and I know that could sit out, but I put it in the fridge anyway. Yeah, I think it increases the shelf life. Too. I have noticed oily stuff gets cloudy though when you cool that oil off. Yeah, that and it just kind of. It don't solidify, but it looks like a vinaigrette usually looks better if it's been sitting in the pantry. But anyway, so we finally got the white barbecue sauce. Available. You can find it at outofbarbecuerite.com. Um, it's probably hitting wholesalers too, so you'll start seeing it on some shelves. Um, it's not going out to any of the major retailers. Um, it's a specialty item. It's kind of creamy. It's kind of zippy, peppery. It's kind of, I mean, it's kind of tough. To me, it has a touch of heat. It's not hot. Yeah, but that's more of a that's pepper, the black heat. pepper heat. Yeah. yeah. So, do you, can I ask you some questions about the bottling process? Sure. How to take an idea? Like you got a recipe. It's a uh, you know written on a sheet of paper. Two cups brown sugar. You know. So much ketchup. So much whatever. ketchup. Whatever. How do you take that and get to a product that you can actually sell? Well. So there's, I guess there's two ways. Some people do get by with going to like farmer's market, making their own, canning it and selling it kind of like cottage industry type where you're yeah. setting up at a flea market or local farmer's market or craft show or something like that. And you can do that. But if you want to get into um, a place where you can actually distribute it or retail it um, on any kind of scale, you need to go work with a co-packer. What's a co-packer? Um, I've always wondered that because we've called them a co-packer. Co I mean, they're a company that works in conjunction with you bottling your recipe for whatever you should, for remarketing or whatever, private use, restaurant use, whatever you want to do with it. But they're, you know, they're the packaging department that you don't own. They kind of 
You co co on it. I guess <laughs> that's how it works. How do you? But I guess that's what they call the co packer. I don't know. It's just what it's always been called. How do you find a co packer? Um. Well, Google. <laughs> <laughs> Is that where you start? That's where you start if you don't know. Uh, and that's what I. I mean, you know, back in the day, we start the first one I ever worked with. I had uh, friends that were using a yeah. specific co packer. They recommended them, but um, I mean, there's a ton of them out there. Every state has some type of co packer. It seems like. I know there's, you know, we're in Mississippi. We have a couple. There's, you know, one in Tennessee I started with, but I know there's co-packers in Texas, Florida, Illinois, I mean, California, Arkansas, everywhere. Yeah. They're everywhere. But if you Google search uh, co-packers, there's there's like, I forget what website it is. I'd have to look. But it's like a government kind of database. I guess it's a government. I don't don't know who's putting it up. But it lists, like, by state, these different co-packers. That are, you know, I guess reputable or uh, they may have paid somebody to be on this list. I don't know. <laughs> but I went, so I go through there and I started contacting people. That was you for know? your white sauce, yeah. Yeah, for my white yeah. sauce. That's what I did. I went, because my co-packers weren't any help. They was like, we don't know anybody doing mayonnaise. You know, they, I don't know if they just didn't want to do it or they told me they've tried it and it didn't work, stuff like that. But they didn't want to mess with it. They didn't want to, because they, I guess they cook. I, I really don't know. I don't, they couldn't give me a good reason why they didn't do mayonnaise, but they didn't. Um, so I just started looking on, uh, Mayo based co-packers and again, I found a list of them in different States and I started contacting them. But the bad thing was this was, it was pre pandemic when I started, but most of them weren't taking on new business. They were maxed out or the volume wasn't there. They wanted me to do like truckload and to start out on a new product. I don't know about everybody else, but I couldn't invest that much money. And just saying I was going to order 26 pallets, usually about 100 cases per pallet, you know, that's a lot of sauce to set up. A lot of product. To not know if you're going to be able to move it, what are you going to do with it? I mean, you're talking, I mean, probably $50,000 or more. I don't know. I don't really know what that price would have been. But so I started contacting them, and finally, um, see, I guess I found the guy in Mississippi just – it was a recommendation. It was a recommendation, it was, but, but it was them. for a different sauce because that really wasn't for the white sauce first is because I was looking at making a comeback sauce because I've got a recipe for a comeback that we make, and I was wanting to see, and they was like, yeah, this guy down here does does like tartar sauces, remoulade sauces, stuff like that, Cajun lines of sauces, seafood sauces, and I just contacted them and was asking them, and I had, uh, by the way, could you make a white barbecue sauce for me? It's got mayo in it. And he's like, yeah, that's no problem. You know, send me the recipe. So that's usually how it works. Once you identify a company that you want to work with, you need to go with your recipe. And so what happens when they get you a lot? See, a lot of the, a lot of the ones that I've dealt with aren't good um, at translating. say your paper recipe that you've wrote out. Yeah. Because it doesn't, they don't do it the same way. First they batch it. They're not going to make it in that small size sample, but, um, that's what a good co-packer can help you with. They can help you translate your measurements to measurements that they use. Cause I figured out like everything they use is, um, usually by weight, by the, you know, they don't use a lot of stuff by ounces or like if you're at home, you probably got measuring cups, you've got tablespoons, you're not weighing everything out. You're not thinking of it as a whole percentage. Like they started a hundred percent. This product has a hundred percent ingredients in it. And they want you to back it out. So say 20% of it is mayo, 10% is vinegar. And when you do recipes, it's really not like that. I don't make them. I don't yeah. think like that. 
And then when I make adjustments, I really don't think it like that because it's <laughs> yeah. like, okay, back down the vinegar. But what are, you know, we, if we back out of a hole 100%, what are we backing, you know, yeah, what, what are we, we, what are we amping up? Yeah. Because you can't just take out and be less than 100%. That, and that's, to me, that just, that don't make sense. If I say back out something, <laughs> just take a little out of it, you know, make it the exact same way. I don't care what the ratio is. <laughs> just don't add as much this. And it don't, but it don't work like that. Yeah. So a part of that relationship was, Give, getting somebody that'll work with your paper recipe, the recipe that you started with, and getting them to translate it to a sample. And that's usually what first step is. But even if you had a percentage-based recipe, once you go to put it from making a bowl or, you know, yeah, a jar. Yeah, quart, quart jar usually yeah. is what my recipes usually make, or a gallon, whatever yeah. however you want to do it. To making a whole batch. To making whole, yeah. 250 gallons. <laughs> it don't correlate. Yeah. And that's where that's where the process can drag out. And a lot of the guys that you work with, they'll give you so many attempts or so many lab hours to work with them on the recipe. And those recipes are like trial and error. So they're going to take your recipe. They're go- they may make it small batch first just to see if they got that part right, if the small batch is actually something that you're going to sign off on. So usually first you'll get some paperwork. It'll be like a non-disclosure type. They agree not to share your recipe, not to do you know sell it to anybody, not to make something else and relabel it. Anything like that, it's like a confidentiality thing. So you'll sign all that with them, and then you'll give them your recipe. A lot of times you have to make a sample and send that to them, too. I did that. I made a sample. The package did up, got it cold. You know, we sent it to them. Then they took that and sent us back, you know, um, a sample that they made. And you have to get that right first. It was like, well, you know, I don't and I don't remember on the, the white sauce. It seemed like it took a couple times. It always the takes first a couple time. times. Even with rubs, sauces, yeah. this process is pretty much the same oh, yeah. across the board. It is. All it is. Yeah. So after you go through that, then they have to ramp it up. They have to scale it. And you have to pay for, you know, well, you have to go into label design. You have to figure <laughs> out what kind of bottle you're going to put it in. And all this stuff costs. I mean, there's, no, I mean, there's cost associated with all of it. The bottling company does not do labels, so you have to find another label company to work with your label, and that's a whole process too. And you have, most of the time, they don't design them either, so you have to work with a designer. Oh yeah, to do that, and yeah. they don't do UPCs, and you got to buy UPCs. You have to, you have to buy UPCs, and there's ways to you know if you're wanting to do it the right way, you have to get an account with the uh, GS1. It's kind of like a, a government agency type thing <laughs> where it's legal UPCs or whatever. You pay a pretty good amount of money, and they give you like a hundred, you know, different barcodes that you can generate, and they're actually your unique company. Then you can do whatever with products, or or you can go to buybarcode.com and get something. And it might have been, you know, an old DVD from back in the day is what it started yeah, out as repurposed. But now, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think so. You don't actually own it. You might have bought that code from somebody, and it's just like an image or something. But you can't go in and change the details on a code like that, as far as I know. Because we made that mistake when we first started. I was like, I just need some barcodes. I can get three hundred seventy-five dollars. We'll start there. Because yeah. I, I, I mean, because yeah, because GS one cost thousands of dollars to get we started. We did not have that. You didn't have it. Yeah. So starting out, I just, you know, just with a cheap route, and it worked. I mean, you're not going to get major distribution, but mm-hmm. is it a barcode on a label? Yeah, and it'll it'll pass for for a while until you you know start wanting to sell it to somebody, but. um after you get all that done, then they're ready to run that first batch. And you hope that when they do the test batch on it, that it's scaled and it's just as good as what the first sample was. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes you have to tweak that, which we did. 
We found... Um, Sometimes you get lucky and you're like, man, that's dead on. Yeah, but that's rare. That's so rare. <laughs> <laughs> that's very rare. So we went through several changes, and uh, a part of the white sauce one was uh, was separating, or like you know how you talked about when you set mayonnaise on a shelf. Yeah, to we had a problem well, When you go mix separating. in mayo with vinegar, with you know, with enough vinegar to get the pH right, so it is chef stable. Sometimes products want to separate, and you have to figure out the different emulsion rates, and all this stuff is way over my head. <laughs> when the guy started talking about we got to do this and this and this to make it, you know, stay in solution and. I was like, yeah, you're going to have to help me out a little there because this is my recipe. I sent you. This is what I know how to do. Blue plate mayonnaise, cider vinegar, you know, and that's how Stick it went. Stick your finger in it. Yeah. Does, it taste, does this taste good, Chill. All right, that's it. But but it came out. It turned out really, really good. Yeah. It was – and see, that's the whole thing, too. Like, you're always – when you're bottling something – does it turn out exactly how you're going to make it at home by your recipe? Probably not. Yeah. Because my sauce, even my barbecue sauce to this day, is not the exact same sauce that if I went to make it on my stove in a small batch. It's just almost impossible to get it to do that. Well, you're using a whole different, you're using fresher ingredients. Well, you, you don't know. know if they're fresh because you're getting them from the store. They're using fresh most of the time. Yeah, Co-packers have the freshest. I don't care if you're doing dry rubs, wet sauces, whatever. They're sourcing ingredients in bulk, and usually they're super fresh. You know, but we're getting to the store. It's you know, it's you don't know. You know how long it's been sitting there, or where it's been bought, or traveled from, or whatever. What do you think's easier to bottle, rubs or sauces or pickles? Um, You've done all. Easier, probably rubs. I think. Well, the process is a little process. Yeah, I've had better luck. I mean, I, as far as time frame, getting getting one to product, getting one to market. I've had faster time frames with rubs, but you're still, I mean, most of the time from concept to actually getting that bottle where you can sell it, I would say you got to give it a year. I'd say so. At least. Six months yeah. is the bare minimum, I'd say. Man, and that's that rushing it. Yeah. rushing it. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you've got lead times and you've got changes and you've got this. and I mean, there's all kinds of factors that go into it where you just can't, it's not an overnight process or it hasn't been for me. What do you think, um, what's an upfront investment on that? Like you don't, you wow. come in, you want a bottle of rub. Let's say rub. Does it include your first order or just? I'm saying you just have a rub recipe. You're just, yeah. you're just a guy with a rub recipe. You go to a co-packer and you start that process from scratch. You hire a designer. Yeah. And you better have, that you, better be, you better at least plan at bare minimum five grand, I would think. For a small batch. Yeah. yeah. To get started. Yeah. To get one, one pallet of product. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, the cost of it, I don't know. Prices have gone up so much on yeah. stuff. That's what that's what makes it hard now is because ingredient costs have went up, logistics costs have gone up, labor costs have gone up. When we've t- we're taking, we've taken so many price increases. I, I don't even know. Like if, you, if I came up with one, a new one right now, I've got, you know, I've got some rubs and stuff that we just hadn't ever bottled. But going and getting those bottled, they would cost. I mean, they'd be way up there. But if you're just doing a small batch, they don't. The smaller the batch, the more it cost. You make the 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 cost actually for me lowers in volume. So when you get to where well, that's you can like most things, yeah, it's because I mean I guess it takes less effort to make a big batch of something than it does to small batch because you've got more labor intensive time and you're buying smaller amounts of ingredients and all just more to it. Small batch stuff is more expensive. 
And that, a lot of people don't understand that. They think, well, it just might be 25 pounds of rub or whatever. Mm-hmm. It costs so much more to make that than it does to make, you know, 4,000 pounds. Not just ingredients. Because you got to clean everything yeah, in yeah. between. and you got the labor, the changeover, all that. Yeah. So. And usually the bigger and companies that can make 4,000 pounds of Don't rub. have the capability to make the small batches. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the one thing with um, sauce co-packers, too. It's like our barbecue sauce and vinegar sauce, their pots are such a big size that they can't cook smaller batches. The pots don't work right. They've got to have so much liquid in them to get the consistency. And so and that's kind of the thing with the white sauce. Like with this guy, he does smaller stuff, and so it, it does batch out to where, you know, we're running a pot size. is usually a, a pallet or two or whatever it is. And he can, he's got his days down to how often he can do it with turnover and all that. So what happens when you get it? <laughs> then you got to figure out how to sell it. <laughs> and you hope it's good. But that's, I mean, that's, that's the, to me, I don't know. What's the, what's the easy part? There's no easy part. There's no easy part. The, that's what, no yeah. Part. Yeah. Cause once that was when we first, I remember when we first got our first pallet of rub and there was like some in five pound bags and some in bottles and it was a whole pallet. I was like, there's no way we're ever going to be able to sell this. I mean, how can you, it just looked like an insurmountable, you know, amount of, of bottles and boxes and stuff that was in our garage. Well, you have to figure out quick that you got to start doing something to be able to sell it. That's when you what did I turn into you? a salesman. Leave that up to you. <laughs> I think that's what you said. <laughs> Just do what you do. Leave that up to you. <laughs> I think I said, don't worry. Yeah, it'll sell. We'll figure it out. But you are on a time constraint, though, because the stuff's got a shelf life. That's true. So. Yeah. And that, that's the thing I think a lot of people don't realize is you really, it's one thing to get it all bottled. It's another thing to sell it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then it's another thing to, I mean, even to sell it the first time, it's got to be good enough to where people can buy it the second time. <laughs> or you've just sold them a bunch of stuff that they can't sell. So that's that's the hard part. It's not impossible. It's just it takes a lot of work and a lot of effort. Yeah, it does. It does. There's a lot, goes in, a lot more goes into it than just having a recipe. And that's, I mean, I get, you know, people, I try stuff all the time and people, you know, they've got a good rub or their friends and family tell them it's awesome. And it is. A lot of times yeah. it's like, man, that's fantastic. But how can you market it or how can you sell it? Or, how, you know, once you get it. Or they don't even out, realize how difficult the bottling process is. I just mean, that part, I didn't know yeah. how difficult it was. I had no idea. Yeah. When we started, I mean, we, we still, we've done it for years now and we still run into constant issues. problems with yeah. it. We're Biggest issue now is price changing. I mean, when, when manufacturers are going up. And so, okay, so say this say you've got one, you've got a rub like we do. We've been making it with the same people for years. But their prices get so high that you can't afford it anymore. You got to go up so much, you know, it's not going to sell. Do you start shopping for other manufacturers to do it? Well, that's a whole, you got to start over ground zero. There's no way they can take um, the recipe that that company's making because they don't have the same equipment. They're not using the exact same ingredients because, you know, you don't know where they've sourced their core ingredients. So there's, it's, it's not going to be the same. So you have to take that into account. If you're going to switch co packers, you better give yourself a year again to get it right. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't burn those bridges. <laughs> well, um, Saturday, now that we're talking about bottling, Saturday we did some fish fry. We did. Yeah, we went. It was a beautiful weather this past weekend. We went fishing. We. Uh, What'd you catch? Just some bass. That's the only thing we really. You caught a big, pretty big bass. Yeah, I did. Uh, what do you think that was? I uh, 
Uh, three or four pounds. I mean, it for looked, a little cow, cow pond, is a pretty good size. It looked huge on an ultralight pole. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's all we did. We we uh, I caught a buzz. <laughs> <laughs> you caught a fish. Few, you caught a few. Yeah. I heard a lot of uh, releasing happened at the pond. <laughs> yeah, she likes to throw the bait out. She likes to feed them. <laughs> Get them in a frenzy. When the little minnows start floating up to the top, I feel sorry for them and throw them out in the water and give them a chance. At least they got the option. Yeah, they can they roll over and float or they can take off. <laughs> they better find a stick or something to hide behind or some grass. Either way, the bass were getting excited. They were. <laughs> but we did, and then we fried some fish that night and had a had a good little fish fry. So it just be you and Michael. Yeah. We, wouldn't, we didn't have a big group or anything. So how do you fry fish? And what is I've got, what is a friable fish to you? I didn't even fry any of them. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer, you know, it's hard to say. I lo- I love crappie. That's what we had some crappie and some catfish. Shout out to the barbecue ninja. Shout out to the Craig, the barbecue ninja, for bringing me some crappie last week. They caught them from I think Lake Washington down in Mississippi, so not too far from. He's got a little camp down there, but um, so we I had I had some catfish that thawed out and had some crappie that thawed out. And my process for them is you got to get that fish dry. I'm I'm not a marinade guy for my fillets. I, I take them, I thump. You usually fit the way we freeze them. We freeze them in water so that it preserves them. You thaw them out, and then I get them out on paper towels, pat them dry just like I would chicken that's coming out of the package, put it on a raised rack, and let it sit there on the counter. And I'm not talking long. It takes, you know, 30, 45 minutes kind of to air dry. And then when it's good and dry, I season it with my AP rub and a little bit of uh, King Crawl. And so it's almost like, I wouldn't say a dry brine, cause, but I like to let that season sit on it for a little while too, another 30 minutes. Will that minutes. pull water, will that pull moisture out? It kind of does, but I leave them on that rack and I let them air dry. So you, Or you can stick them right back in the fridge if you want to, let the let the air moving in the fridge kind of help them dry. But it makes them crispier to me. It makes the batter to where it doesn't get too thick. A lot of times, you know, you'll see people dip them in an egg wash or buttermilk and egg or something, hot sauce, something like that, then batter them. And you end up with this thick, you know, kind of crust on it that's heavily battered. And I don't think good fried fish doesn't need that much batter. You just need some yellow cornmeal that you season up with a little salt and pepper. And that goes on them after you've seasoned them and let them dry. And I put them back on the rack and I let that batter dry too. And it all, air drying is the key. It doesn't take long to fry them. I'm talking eight to 10 minutes. These fillets are fried perfect. 350 degree peanut oil. So what's your prep time? Uh, a couple hours. I give myself, you know, I give myself two hours because I know I'm going to, you know, once they're thawed, once that, I take the fish out the night before, let it thaw in the refrigerator and get it out, get it out of the water, let it dry about an hour, season it, let that sit about 30 minutes, put my batter on it, let that sit about 30 minutes, get my oil hot, and they're ready to fry. But by that time, most of the time, I'm, you know, doing French fries, doing making hush puppies, making tartar sauce, making coleslaw, all that stuff that goes with a good fish fry. Yeah. You made some fire hush puppies this weekend. Man. <laughs> they were some of the best I've They had. were. They were really good. And they were simple. I cheated. You bought the Martha White hush puppy packet, but we jazzed it up. We put the, we put some. We green. followed the directions on the packet. Yeah, I mean it had milk and a little water in it. It was that pretty was much it. it. Yeah. But we added green onion. We added some sweet, finely minced white onion. Um, we added a little bit of uh, Tony's to give it just a little bit of salt, and then some King Crawl for some more Cajun flavor. 
And that was all it was. It was super simple. Man, I fried them. Like, I, I didn't have a scoop or anything fancy. Just get a teaspoon, get you another teaspoon, get you a little scoop, use the back of the other spoon, and drop it in the hot oil. And they turn right into that ball, hush puppy shape. You can get a little um, ice cream scoop, too. Melon ball scoop works yeah, really good. I don't know. Was that a, I forget, one-ounce scoop, maybe? I think it is. It's the smaller one, not like a big ice cream scoop. Yeah. You don't want that big a hush puppy. The problem with hush puppies is you can get them too dense, so they're packy, and they don't get done in the middle. These were light, super light. When you bit into them, it was, like, was kind of airy. They weren't packed, and they, they were cooked, cooked all through. the way through, and the outside was crispy, and they had just a great flavor, and you got a little bit of the onion, a little bit of the seasoning. And they're really good. One thing I've learned about hush puppies is mix up the hush puppy mix and let it set. You got to. 30 minutes. That's, it what, lets what it breathe. What does that do? I don't know. It must activate it, let it rise a little. <laughs> I'm sure they've got baking powder and baking soda Maybe. in with the flour or Maybe. whatever. A little meal. It's, it's like a loose cornbread, but not packy. It's kind of the best way to describe it. Um, and homemade are the best. Now, there, there is one brand, if you can find it, called World's Best Hush Puppies. <laughs> it's in the generic package. It's like a clear package with a white label and black writing. It says World's Best Hush Puppies. I haven't been able to and find those lately. I don't know if they still make them or not. This is pre-pandemic. But um, there's two flavors. They have one that's like a jalapeno and something, and they had ri- original. Both of them are as good as you can buy, other than making homemade. Did you find them? But then we also did fries. And I usually, so. Oh, I'll tell you what, those extra crispy or rider fries. That's, that's what you bought. Those yeah, things are they good. Were good. So I've got a Bayou Classic double basket fryer. It probably holds, I don't know, four gallons of oil. I use peanut oil. And it's a nice fryer. Yeah, yeah, super. Two I mean, baskets. Oh, yeah, yeah, it works. It heats up real good. Doesn't take it long to heat up once you fire it up. Holds you barely leave the gas on to keep it right at 350, 375 in that green area on the dial. <laughs> and I usually fry fries first. I'll give them, you know, a couple minutes, pick them up, drain them, and then drop them back again to get them really brown and crispy and then season them as soon as they come out. Is that one that came out so crispy? Yeah. Good. You do the double fry on them. Then the hush puppies go next because they fry fast. I mean, the hush puppies done. And Three minutes, usually tops. It's like frying donuts or beignets or something. You drop them. By the time you drop them, they'll go to the bottom. They'll come up and float. And you just need to kind of get you some tongs or something and kind of flip them so they cook even. And then by that time, they're done. You take them out. Then you're ready to fry your fish. And the trick to the fish is you've already got it seasoned and dried out. And the breading will stay light on it. To bread them, I didn't say this. I didn't say this part. Okay. I put it all in a bag. Like, I'll I have all my my cornmeal and my seasonings in like a big Ziploc bag or a meat bag or a brown paper sack, or they make a breader bowl thing. I, don't, I usually don't, that's too much cleanup. Put them all in there and I'll <laughs> drop my fillets in four or five at a time, shake them around, dust them off, shake them really good and put them right back on the rack so they can dry too. So you do that with all your fillets and you let them sit about 30 minutes. Then you bring them outside after you fried your, your uh, potatoes and your hush puppies. Then you start dropping the fillets, but don't overcrowd your baskets. Look, I had two baskets going, and I can drop about four or five fillets in each basket at a time, but I made sure I do them one at a time away from me, and I let them separate because you don't want them to come together and kind of stick together. They won't cook even. And fish will kind of let you know when it's done. It'll start floating. Like it goes down to the bottom a lot like the hush puppy does, and then it kind of floats up. You don't have to flip it too much. You just kind of eyeball it, shake the basket a little bit. 
but I like it to get crispy and golden. So it's it's usually about eight minutes, about eight to ten minutes is about how long I let it fry. What ounce fillet? Um, you like smaller ounce fillets? Yeah. Too. Usually I buy if I have my choice, I would buy the little two to fours, but they're way more expensive because it's a younger catfish and just because it cost them more. But these were probably. I would say five eighths. And when I cook five eighths, I split them right down the middle. There's like a seam in a catfish fillet. So it makes these kind of catfish fingerlings and they curl up and they get real crispy. That's that's the way I like them. I don't want a big hand size fillet. There's nothing. I mean, I don't want that. You know, the fish don't need to be too thick. Thin and crispy fish is where it's at. Heck yeah. Those crispy little ends on it. Yeah. Have you, so you're using a fancy fryer now. Oh yeah. (laughs) Well, Have you ever used like a fry daddy to Heck fry yeah. fish? Yeah, I've, I've used it all. <laughs> we used to fry them on, on a, in a Dutch oven on the stove top. I mean, I've used plenty of black and iron Dutch ovens frying on a fish cooker too. That's what they I, work great. They work really good. But this, I mean, the the basket and the oh well, propane yeah. fryer is where it's at. I mean, it's easier because you can clean your oil real easy. You can keep your whatever container your oil came in. Save those. Don't throw it away. Because you can buy this little filter attachments, and most of those, the cook, like the fish cookers that I have, have a drain on them. It's like a ball valve, and you open it up, run it through that filter, it cleans that oil, gets anything out of it. You can clean out the the fryer after it's empty, wipe it out real good, get any crumbs or anything that fell down the bottom out, and put it back in. You're yeah, good but to how go often again. do you have to do that? Um, probably depending on you know how often you're using it, I would say probably three to four cooks, something like that. And if you're good about regulating your heat, not heating the oil up too much, it'll last you a long time. But Oil's some people have a problem. I mean, it depends on what kind of fish you're cooking, too. I've had some where people cooking some old fishy. I don't know where they get them fish. <laughs> some old eels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, gar or something. I don't know. Some <laughs> greasy fish. Yeah, some greasy fish. <laughs> make that, you can tell. If you've had fish cooked in bad grease, you can tell it. So. Heck, yeah. We always, like, coming up, we always kept our fish grease separate than our cooking grease. Yeah. So if we had, you know, if we knew we were going to fry chicken wings, we wouldn't fry them in the same oil that we fried fish in before. A lot of people do that with their turkeys when they fry turkey. Yeah, you don't use the they same. keep their turkey, turkey oil, oil separate. Yeah, yeah. That's why I, I buy it at Sam's, the big jug. Now, it's just, I buy the clear frying oil, or, or if I'm going to splurge, I'm going to buy peanut oil. Most of the time, I like, I like to fry in peanut oil. It gives it a better taste. It's expensive. And now it is, yeah. Heck yeah, it's always been a little. Even that clear frying oil is expensive now. My dad used a, a a cast iron Dutch oven over, but he used it over a burner outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. those work good. Um, you grill and barbecue better than my dad, but he <laughs> I think has, he's got. There's no way he's got me on frying fish. I do not believe that. I I'm the catfish know. king. <laughs> I, got the, I got the trophy to prove it. Cooked a one catfish contest, won it. It said Catfish King, and I stopped. Why, why would you go further? <laughs> it said Catfish King of Mississippi. Of Mississippi, yeah. Maybe I need to do national. And it was like 2002. It don't matter. <laughs> you, don't, you don't lose it. It ain't like a stipulation. Like, you got a time frame on it. And you can't really, take that away from somebody. <laughs> I think they didn't do that contest anymore. So <laughs> they stopped the contest. You, you reigned. I'd reign. Reigning Catfish <laughs> King, too. Maybe we need to have, bring that contest back, just a catfish cooking contest. So when you won that, they gave you like a little, I think it was a piece of paper in a frame. It was, like, it was a, a major award is what it was. <laughs> it was a major award. It had Catfish King on it. It was in this, I don't know what kind of a special trophy arranged 
placard holder thing it was. It was a piece of printed paper. It was, <laughs> you're making this frame. out to be Bobo. <laughs> <laughs> like they but just for threw Christmas this together. last year, yeah. <laughs> I had I had a real trophy <laughs> baby. <laughs> That's not how I remember it at all. I remember this cr- crowning, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the golden sound. catfish came out. You got like knighted. Yeah, a scepter and all of it. Catfish king. But yeah, no, I love frying fish. Um. So speaking of frying, but not frying, um, we did crispy wings. Yes, I have just about perfected those on a pellet grill. Oh, I yeah. I would so say. Tell me, okay. They're. It would be hard for somebody to tell you didn't fry them, I think. And the, the, I would have seen me fry them. Yeah. The trick was so, once again, I got my chicken wings and I let them air dry. I get them dry as you can get them. It takes at least an hour. You got to give them at least an hour. Two hours is about the, you know, as maximum. To dry. Yeah. yeah, two hours. Have you ever gone longer? I have, but you don't gain anything. You don't. Some people say put them in. The overnight. fridge overnight. You yeah. can. It's not going to hurt them. I've tried it before. It didn't. Yeah. I didn't One hour at minimum, those. two hours tops is all you need to go. Skin's perfectly dry. So I did. So I've experimented before with like the cornstarch, the baking soda. But the trick was adding p- grated cheap Parmesan cheese to it. Just go to your grocery store. It don't matter if Why it's the store brand. Why does that make a difference? I think it adds seasoning, and it takes away from some of the starchiness of the cornstarch. Yeah. You don't get that gritty flavor with it. But it still can give yeah. you the crust. That's right. What's that That's cheap right. Parmesan made out of? Is it made out Tree of Parmesan? Bar? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> some type of Parmesan cheese, imitation Parmesan. I don't know. You're talking about the but stuff. I'm that, talking about the cheap stuff that you see. Green in, top that you shake out. Yeah. Yeah. It's just green, shaky Parmesan cheese. Don't get the fancy kind from the deli that's been great. Don't grate your own. You're wasting Good cheese for that. You want the the one spaghetti that's spaghetti cheese. Yeah, spaghetti cheese. Exactly. Everybody's at it. You know, it comes with yeah. a green bottle, green top, shake it out. But that's um so I'd use like quarter cup of parm of the grated cheap parm, a quarter cup of cornstarch, and a tablespoon or two of bacon powder. That's the three things that go in it. Then you can season it a little bit if you want to. Did but, you season it? Um did you put any seasoning in the I don't think PX. Yeah, yeah, I put it like a tablespoon or two of TX. That's right. That's right. Just to give it some salt and pepper. And then I took those dry wings. That went in a Ziploc bag, shook it up, put the wings in a few at a time, mix them all around, put them out on the rack, just like we're talking about doing the catfish. Let them dry a little bit. And then they go on a 400-degree pellet grill. I don't care what brand of pellet to grill it is. You just need 400 degrees. And at one hour, um, I'd say about 45 minutes, go ahead and flip them. Just to make sure they're getting yeah. even temp. Could you do this with pieces? Cause yeah, like drums and flats. Yeah, I did whole wings, but yeah, yeah, definitely could. Do you think that would decrease your cook time a little? Uh, it's still probably Possibly. about an hour. Yeah. I would, but I would watch them then. Yeah. I mean, you just want them to get close to two hundred degrees internal to get extra, you know, come jump right off the bone. They're yeah. done at one sixty five, but to get that crispiness. But man, when you when you if you watch that TikTok video, you can see these jokers. Look like they have been fried, and they are they were fantastic. At that point, you could sauce them if you want. I did some of Cosmo's wing dust, just the buffalo flavored wing dust, right over the top. Um, and then I made a buffalo ranch, and that was like a homemade ranch. You know, the 
it's like a cup of sour cream, three quarters cups of blue plate, one ranch packet. And then I took um, Frank's wing sauce, not the Frank's hot sauce, but Frank's has a buffalo wing sauce. And I did, I don't know, about a third of the bottle. In that, in How many quarter cup? Yeah, it was, a good, it was a good bit. Yeah. And that, that sauce right there is jam up. It you is. never tried that. You get all that good buffalo flavor right there, so you don't have to sauce that wing. You can keep a that would be it would be good for any kind of wing that you want to get a little buffalo flavor with to do it like that. But one thing that helps make those wings crispy too is I sprayed them with some duck fat, and that helps. Like right before they went on, I hit them with a little duck fat over the top, and then about halfway through the cook, I went and checked on them and I hit them with a little more duck fat, and it helps that crispiness. It helps it helps that breading make that crispy. Um, you know, a little snappy snap on it. <laughs> it's good. It's really good. It's really it took me, good. I mean, I've ruined some wings using cornstarch method and stuff. Yeah. A lot of times they're gritty. And I, I mean, now this still had a little bit of a texture on the outside. Oh, yeah. It wasn't the same texture you get when you actually fry them. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the closest you're going to get to fried chicken on a grill. I, I think promise so. you. Yeah. Without it's... actually submerging them in hot oil, just the closest you're going to get to fried chicken. I want to see what it's, it's way better than like uh, what's the old stuff that shake and bake chicken like yeah. <laughs> mama yeah. would make as a kid. Way better than that. Yeah, because oh, it makes like a crust on it. Um, I want to see what it's like. I think if you maybe tossed it in sauce right before you served them, like pull them off the grill, yeah. toss them in sauce, and serve them, it'd be like a Hooter style breaded wing. Yeah, you wouldn't even. I don't even think you'd notice that no, slight little texture. Tyler, on did you, the you took some of those. That later that day, didn't you take some take some home with you? Yeah, I did. Did you try them? Did you reheat them or did you just try them? I threw them in the oven. I mean, honestly, they kept mostly the same consistency. They didn't get soft or no, soggy. Not or really. Not so that's really. my problem with crunchy. like yeah. you buy fried battered wings, like say Hooters for instance. Yeah. You get them to go or take them home. It sogs out with the sauce and stuff mm-hmm. on them. Or even when you, even good. crispy mm-hmm. plain, they they just not as good. These kind of held up, I thought. Mm-hmm. This is like a cr- like it's like a crust, like it's like yeah, a, almost yeah, like a is. bark. <laughs> like I don't yeah. know, but you wouldn't know it was Parmesan cheese, and I don't think you would know it was cornstarch either. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just couldn't tell. It was the, you would think it was like floured or something. It was the best crispy smoked wing that I've had. Yeah, yeah. And they had that grilled flavor from being on the grill too. Yeah. And they were good. I want to pull them apart. So I want to try them like on the Weber. Because I've done the cornstarch wings, like, you know. The but you've never done the parm wings, But I've never done the parm like that. That's my next experiment, to do that on the Weber to see if I can get a real, like, put some wood on there and get some real good grilled flavor smoke and charcoal flavor on that wing. Because I think that would be next level. Yeah. So last night we did black beans and a flat iron steak. Yeah, it was my night to run the grill again. Um. The Walmart flat iron. I know. I was going to say. Fire. It was good. <laughs> yeah, the whole trick with those is don't overcook them, man. I, you marinated it. I used Daddy Hinkles. Big Daddy Hinkles? <laughs> I don't think it's Big Daddy Hinkles. <laughs> That's you what I call it. it. It's just Hinkles marinade or something. And it's like a marinade. It's good. Yeah. It's like a half, it, the package is half season and half uh, wet. wet. Yeah, marinade. And you open it up. And you're supposed to like season it and then rub it. And, uh, man, the I only thing I did to those, they stayed in that from, I don't know. Most of the day. Yeah. Before we went to work, you put them in that marinade. We got home. I fired up a chimney of charcoal on the Weber, took those steaks straight out of that marinade, right before I threw them on the grill, I hit them with some grande gringo because we were kind of going for that, you know, Southwest Mexican style flavor. I did, I think it was a total of about 11 minutes combined is all they cooked on the grill. I did two minutes. They were a thicker fire iron. 
Oh yeah, it was a big thick flat iron. Sli- and they were like, I don't know, I took them off 122 internal and then sliced them after they rested about seven minutes, sliced them super thin, melted in your mouth. It was really good. Even Michael was tearing it up. I was like, man, you're going to have to ease up off that red meat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm afraid he's going to get himself sick. We brought the leftovers for lunch today. Yeah, that was the plan. Yeah. Um, Tacos. I like store, using store-bought marinade, especially weeknights. It's quick. It's a quick dinner. You know, we're trying to look something that the, the plan was to for us to like go home, cook a quick dinner, have enough leftovers that we can bring a lunch. So it would save us some money. We don't have to worry about ordering out, eat a little healthier. We mm-hmm. tried to pair it with, you know, some black beans and some, you know, brown rice, something like that. But, you know, it was good. Real good. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of the Daddy Hinkles. I'm going to have to try some more of his. Yeah. Because that one was a Southwest. Is that what it was? Yeah. They had that at Walmart? Yeah. I didn't know it just showed up in our pantry. I didn't know where it comes. It was a sample or what. Yeah. <laughs> it did look weird, didn't yeah. it? <laughs> it was good, though. I'd use it again. Yeah. Um, Kroger has some marinades that are pretty good, too. The Kroger brand. Yeah. The, one of my favorites are Baja. they got like this Baja Mar- Southwest marinade. It's good on chicken. It's good on pork, too. Yeah. I like 30-minute marinade. It's quick. I usually leave them in longer than 30 minutes. I have ruined some stuff. <laughs> really? How yeah, long did yeah. you leave it? I don't know. It was like an hour or two. It's pork chops. Just ate right through them, like dissolved them. <laughs> Changed the texture and everything. Must have had a lot of meat tenderizer or something. Yeah. And I guess that's how they get away with this is a 30-minute marinade because it's probably, I didn't look at the ingredients, probably horrible for you. <laughs> Tastes <laughs> yeah. good, but it's probably horrible for we you. We think we're trying to do better yeah. and healthy. But we're eating plastic. So, yeah. Sodium and chemicals. I, I didn't check. Yeah. I, I just, don't know what Big Daddy just, uses, but <laughs> just took his word. But it was good. <laughs> that's the second time I've used one of his marinades and been like, yeah. "That's pretty good." Pretty good this week we had a question on the community page. I always try to check and see what interesting things are going on on the community page. Um, and Blake had a question: If I have two turkeys to smoke on Friday night, how do I keep them moist until Sunday? Wow, you got to smoke them on Friday. That's that's a tough one. I mean, I would if you got um, the best way I found is use the big gusseted vacuum silver bags. The I think it's the eleven inch wide bag gusseted. When you smoke them, let them cool off. I usually keep them in an aluminum pan. Um, let them sit at room temp just enough to you know to get down to right at one hundred and forty. Vacuum seal them up. Get them in the refrigerator, and that way you can reheat them. I mean, the most people said. Once it cools, to go ahead and carve it. I don't know. You don't know. Most people say cook it on Sunday. <laughs> That's the best bet. <laughs> but I think it was a, a an Easter type situation. I mean, the deal I've always thought when you carve stuff, it's going to lose juice automatically. And reheating it's tough because it's smaller. Well, how do you, you reheat keep it a- whole? You just put it in the oven and reheat it, or put it back on the pit and reheat it. You got to, you know, you got to reheat it. Yeah. But it don't have to reheat to put back to 140. It's not like you're trying to take it back up to 165. And to me, if you could keep it, you know, contained, catch as much juice as you can, you can take it out of that bag, put some foil over it. There's probably some juice still in the pan, and you can reheat it that way. But I don't recommend doing that to a turkey at all. I mean, let, reheated turkey is not going to be that good. Yeah, no you lose a lot. Yeah. I would do it more to turkey breast. Than I would the whole turkey. Uh, that would be know, better. Yeah. 
those those reheat pretty good. I've even like you know, those that boneless Texas, turkey yeah, breasts. Boneless turkey breast. You know, smoke them, wrap them up in full, stick them in the fridge. You know, when you get ready to reheat it, put a little extra butter in there, pop it in there, and bring it back up slow. They're really good like that. But the whole turkey, I just don't. I don't know. I mean, you could do it, but it's never going to be as good as the day it came off that yeah. pit. Um, red meat seems to do a lot better. Yeah, it does pretty good. And pork does too. Uh, pork does phenomenally better. You can take a whole butt, you know, and reheat it, or, or tenderloin or loin doesn't do as good that way, just because you don't have as much moisture and not much fat. But. There was also somebody that shared a sweet chili Brussels sprout recipe. Ooh. And it's basically just they cooked it as normal, like we do. Oil. They used AP. You know, put it on the pit. Bacon. Um, huh? Bacon. No, they didn't use bacon no. in their recipe. But um, at the end, they just brushed it brushed it with the sweet chili sauce. Oh, really? Yeah. Like the same sweet Thai chili sauce, Maggie's sweet Thai chili or whatever it is? Um, they had some other brand like La Choy or yeah, yeah. one of those brands. But, Frank's uh, makes one of those. It's pretty good. Yeah, it does. We've used those in wings. Mm-hmm. But I was I, I was like, that's I would try a good idea. Yeah. I would try it. I like, I like the balsamic. And so... Balsamic bacon. Balsamic glaze with a little bacon. Brussels sprouts. So it has the balsamic glaze has a little sweetness too. Um, it's really good. So I could see the sweetness playing with the heat. Yeah. And if you wanted to serve it with like a Asian style dish. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe some rare beef. Kimchi. Yeah. That'd be like Brussels sprouts and kimchi and, and uh, some kind of flank steak or something. I can figure out a way to serve Rare beef. Yeah. <laughs> Work the, it into any. <laughs> steak, Brussels sprout goes great with beef. I love Brussels sprouts. I didn't grow up eating them. It wasn't I hated a... them. They <laughs> boiled them. They were slimy. They stunk. They tried to put cheese on them. <laughs> this was not, how, that was not something that was good. When we figured out how to roast them or how to put them on the grill, it changed the game. Mm-hmm. Brussels sprouts. Even Michael likes them. You got to get them crispy. So what do you have coming up this weekend, Malcolm? Oh, man, I'm going to New Orleans. I'm going to see, I'm going to a concert, probably get some hurricanes. Yeah, do you have any goals down there? Like, are you going to try to get some 13 hurricanes. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's my record. 13? I think so. In one one evening? Yeah. Probably, I'm thinking national champion, I don't remember which championship. It was when the Florida State played Virginia Tech. No, I didn't puke. <laughs> MVP, ass man. That's life of the party. Ended up in like Domino's. I think we picked up some chicks. I don't know. Domino's pizza. <laughs> yeah. There's there's old Domino's back over on one of them street. We we're staying on a hotel off Canal. Walked back through and decided we wanted Domino's at two in the morning. I think. So uh, you and that's a different story for different podcasts. <laughs> this is a long I don't time know. ago. I like this one. Yeah. So what? It was a national championship game. You were down in New Orleans. Yeah, like, yeah, Florida State won. It's a great, great time. I've had some good ones down there. I don't know. Fourteen? No. I was was old enough to know better. (laughs) What year was that? Probably. Dang. Ninety-eight, ninety-nine, something like that. Something like that. So you're probably 24, 23, 24. Mm, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Something like that. 
<laughs> I'm going to ask more questions about this story. <laughs> this is the four shells. <laughs> yeah. I've had some great New Orleans stories. This is like my town. <laughs> well, we're That's going all I got back. coming up. I'll, I may not be back next week. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but we are filming a Easter brisket. Yeah. That'll come oh, out We're going to be week. back down in Metairie. We're right outside of New Orleans in two, is it two weeks, three weeks? Three weeks. Yeah, the weekend after Easter. Yeah. We're doing, We're doing double fish. trips. I might as well just stay down there. <laughs> you got to come back to Easter. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I can shack up with somebody. <laughs> well, you got to find a fish camp. Trade them your, your cooking skills yeah. for your lodging. That's right. We can bring the podcast down there. I got yeah. this. To New Orleans. Yeah. <laughs> Rent an RV. That's all I got coming up. Memphis and May. And we're doing we a we know it. Easter brisket. Easter brisket will be coming out next week. Um, that's going to be really good. Yeah. Then we got Easter. We got some more TikToks that, that Tyler and I did. Um, Crispy Wings is out. Well, we'll be out. The i tell you one that surprised me was a recipe that you saw. It was kind of like inspired. We talked about it on the one. podcast yeah. last week. The Crescent. Ruben, Ruben rolls. rolls, yeah, those were they called they them. were they were ugly, but man, they turned out phenomenal. <laughs> so tell a uh, real quick run through that pastrami sauerkraut and uh, Swiss cheese inside crescent roll. You didn't in, you bought the crescent roll sheet so you could yeah, make large big triangles, rolls, yeah. yeah, and rolled them up, put them on the pellet grill till they're golden brown, done on the inside. Cut them in half and dipped them in thousand dollars. I mean, Ken's thousand. <laughs> it was the easiest recipe. It's like, man, this is a, it's a banger right there. It was really yeah. good. Even mini versions would be good with the regular size. That'd be great little appetizers. It's way better than pigs in a blanket. Rubens in so a blanket. Too. Yeah, <laughs> Rubens in a blanket. <laughs> they were good. We tore those up. Yeah, they were. Did you, did you take? <laughs> like, the, they were. Yeah, gone. They were really good. I mean, they were fantastic. It was like that stumbled upon. So whoever thought of those was a genius. I don't know if that's a compliment for me for finding them or <laughs> <laughs> somebody else did it. I ain't taking blame, uh, yeah. blame for it. We saw them. Um, it was like a restaurant was doing them. Is that what it was? Yeah. It was, was it on TikTok or? Yeah, I saw it saw on TikTok. It? But they yeah. used brisket. They made their own crescent rolls. But it wasn't a Reuben either, though. Mm -hmm. Like they used brisket. They didn't use sour. It was just brisket and did they have cheese? They used stone ground mustard, brisket, and some type of cheese and rolled them up. Same kind of way. Yeah, same kind of way. And I was like, nah, let's do it Reuben style. It was really good. The pastrami you found was really good. You could good. do any kind of meat in it, too. You could. You could do turkey and Swiss Ham and something. Cheese. Ham and cheese. It's kind of like those yeah. King's Hawaiian rolls. Like, you could just. Pepperoni. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> keep going. Pepperoni. You do pizza roll-ups like that. Yeah. That's all. All that sounds good. But, yeah, it was better than. I thought it was as good as kolaches. I liked it better than a kolache. Ooh, could we do um, some type of sausage in those rolls? Yeah. Then you and do our own kolaches? Kinda, yeah, you could. I could do boudin. Oh, boudin kolaches. Yeah, I'm gonna have to do that. That's a good recipe. Yeah, real good. Oh, this is a link, <laughs> piece of boudin, and <laughs> wrap it up. I think it's getting lunchtime. I'm starting. <laughs> oh, <is> to <laughs> <laughs> well, that's about all we got today, Shell. <laughs> Where can they find us? <laughs> you can find Malcolm at How to BBQ right on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and of course YouTube. You can find me on Instagram and TikTok. Miss Southern Shell. That's right. Hey, if you got questions and stuff, you want to hit us up, check out the community on Facebook. It's a great resource. Also got a mobile app at the right, Tyler. 
Yes, sir. We got a Had a Barbecue <laughs> mobile app with all of Malcolm's favorite recipes it's on a, there. It's in the uh, iTunes store and the Google Play store. And um, that's all we got today, folks. <laughs> Anything else, Shell? Oh, no. I'm waiting for you to say we gone. Oh, we gone. <laughs>